Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. He's back. It's been about three and a half years. Mr. Cantwell, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show. Hello, sir. How are you? It's been a while. It has been a while, and I, I, I had to come back for more. I need more stories. You got the best stories. Well, I appreciate that. There is more. Yeah, so uh, you you found me, let's see, you found me after the Crab Feast, right? You saw a performance on the Crab Feast where I talked about salvia. Steered me away from that drug for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, don't do salvia. Anybody who's listening. I know salvia for some reason has gotten popular in Ireland, and I, I get I get text messages and stuff from from people in Ireland that are into salvia, and that's that's some brave people because it just lasts it lasts too fucking long. Is it because you it's, you did too much of a concentrate of it? Yeah, and I think it's because I'd never done anything before. You know, it just it was I'd never taken anything stronger than ibuprofen in 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 my whole life, I'd never smoked anything. I'd never taken any kind of drug. And my mind just was all just pretty a straight line, you know, just a bunch of Mormon stuff. Basically just. That's the background I want to get to talk about your Mormon background. I don't think I've really ever asked you about that. Yeah. So I've been, I was, I'm the seventh generation Mormon. So my family was in it from the beginning. My family joined in Ireland. And um, back in the 1800s, back when it was just getting started, Joseph Smith sent a bunch of people out to the English-speaking world to basically trick as many people into it as he could. And uh, my family passed that gullibility test, or I guess failed that gullibility test, because they just abandoned everything in Ireland, sold everything, jumped on a boat, came to America, actually got got hit by a hurricane on their way to America. So it tore all the masts off their ship. So they just floated around there, derelict in the Gulf of Mexico for several days until they got rescued by a paddle steamer that was out looking for survivors and um, towed them ashore. They got hooked up with horses and wagons in one of those, um, in one of those uh, handcart companies that you hear about the Mormons that when they would push those big wheelbarrows across the mountains back before there was even roads, back before anybody knew what went what lay to the west. And, uh, people's idea of what lay out west from Louisiana was basically stories that they had heard from trappers that had wandered in with a bunch of beaver pelts, and so they would just vaguely tell them go over five mountain ranges and there's a place with them, you know, so they would just get these crazy orally tradition, oral tradition style maps. And they would a bunch, they would just basically send people out into the wilderness to colonize America. That was basically America's uh, strategy on how to, to populate and to civilize this purchase that they had just bought uh from france and they so that's what they did they just sent people out they just yeah. they put advertisements in newspapers saying there's free land in america and people would just come over and do it and the mormon church took full advantage of that sent my family out to utah it wasn't you know there were indians living there and they of course fought the indians and so i have all of their diaries because mormons have to keep a daily journal of our days on the earth and so you read their their journals and it's boring for a while, just starvation and crops and, you know, worrying about being able to feed their family. And then, the you know, a couple pages later, 
they're fighting with some tribe of Indians who they ultimately ended up killing and taking over that part of Utah that they called Smithfield. And um, so my family built, you know, there was, they built an Indian fort out of, out of logs, you know, like you see in the, in the old Westerns and they shot it out with the, the Indians. And I think they even, they, 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 they ended up almost exterminating that Indian tribe, unfortunately. And, um, stayed there in Smithfield then. And that was, that was the town that I was born into. That was the high school that my ancestors built was the high school that my grandparents went to and my great grandparents and where I went to, and is still standing to this day. Like you go into the cemetery in Smithfield and it's seven generations of my family all buried up on that hill. Good for you. You skipped out on the whole Ancestry.com thing. I, I, that's all I can go to for a resource, and it's not accurate at all. Yeah, well, Mormons, we fetishize Ancestry. You know, that that's where everything that we do is based on that. We, we're required to take our family tree back as many generations as you can, because then you take those those people and you take them into the temple. That's what Mormon temples are for. So you then find out that my great, great, great grandfather's name was Simon Cantwell. And he was born on this day and he died on this day. So I take those records that I find, I take them to the temple and then I pretend for that day to be Simon Cantwell. I use his name, you know, I, I have his paperwork and then I go through all the crazy Mormon uh, rituals that we believe make it so that we can go to heaven when we die. So you're, you, that thing stems from making sure that your family that died before that they could hear the Mormon church stuff, that they can go to heaven too. You teach them all the handshakes, how to wear the, 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 the ceremonial clothes. But so we fetishize um, our ancestry. It's just, uh, and we believe that we'll see those people someday. I don't believe this stuff anymore. I don't know what I believe. Are, are you still Mormon or are you kind of questioning everything? I question everything. I am still Mormon. I still consider myself Mormon. That's, I got a Mormon viewpoint on the world. You know, those songs still, still make me smile. If I'm hurt or sad or lonely or, or lost, those are all the songs that I whistle to myself as I'm walking through, through the woods. So I guess maybe if you're, if you ever believed truly, it's hard to get away from it completely. Though I think Joseph Smith was um, was a reprobate, you know, was was uh, just running around fucking anything that could. He the whole thing was begun by his penis, you know, <laughs> and basically using a story about angels to try to talk to first of all to try to get out of work out of manual labor, rescue himself from an agrarian life. Second thing that he tried to do with the, with the power of bullshit is, you know, talk women into bed. And he would tell them the damnedest things and want them to do anything that he wanted to. And he would claim that an angel required it or the angel would come and kill the woman in the night. So he would just, you know, the, the Mormon scriptures are nothing but thinly veiled uh, uh, stories about the angel is going to kill his wife if, if he, she doesn't do this thing that he's that he's told her that she's supposed to do. He doesn't name the thing that she's, he's supposed to do, but you can kind of read behind the lines between stories 
of uh, that friends and, and people that saw his life would say, and the stuff that even survives today after having been sanitized for 200 years. Um, to be honest, people have done worse things to get laid. I hate to say it, but. Sure. He just happened to start a whole religion. <laughs> he, he was pretty bad. The, the, the angry mob that killed him was made up largely of uh, like fathers and sons and brothers of women that he had uh, done wrong. Oh, so, my God. So I grew up in Utah, lived my entire life in Utah. Nobody ever left. You know, my grandfather never went traveled further away from our little town of Smithfield than one bowel movement away. So he he, never, he was afraid of using anybody else's privy other than his own. So he would only take a home field shit and he lived to be 102 years old. And so that's as far away. He would go to Salt Lake sometimes on the train and come back and, you know, probably bust him for a shit. <laughs> I'll say obviously it worked out for him. Holy shit. Yeah, did it? I don't know. He never went more than two stories off the ground. Never time at any time in his life. Really, never saw anything in his life. You know, great guy, but just the, I saw that. I heard those stories of him never leaving, and it just made me want to leave. You know, so when I graduated from high school, I took a job in Alaska. I went up there. I, I had been working at rate uh, on radio stations on radio shows and things like that through high school, thanks to my dad. But then when I graduated from high school, I was like, I'm just going to go get a big boy radio job in Alaska because they paid a lot of money in Alaska because they, it's like, it's like having a radio show on the dark side of the moon. They send you out to some fucking Eskimo village where, you know, 600 people are basically, you know, huddled together no other human population for hundreds and hundreds of miles in any direction you know no roads in or out of town no, no groceries coming they bring a barge in once a year that bring the for all the food and the fuel and things like that and after that it's just they the world shuts off and the sun goes down and it doesn't come up again it's just you just reading the news to an empty world they, and a gigantic transmitter, by the way. So I think that these things were maybe funded by the U S government in some way, because <laughs> a way bigger radio station than you would need. I could, you could, you could buy something that would cost a hundred dollars that would transmit to the, the citizens of Dillingham, Alaska out there on the frozen asshole of, of Alaska. But the, they, these things, these guys had the biggest one. Like it's the, it's the most, I forget how many Watts, but it was like the biggest radio station I've ever worked for was the one on the West coast of Alaska, just beaming, you know, national public radio into Siberia. It's that one station in your car that never loses signal, no matter where you go. Dude, you could probably get it from here on the right with the right antenna. You could probably get it from here. It's gigantic. And, you know, so we just, so I, I went to Alaska after high school, worked at a radio job, was a nanny up there also just because why not, you know, I've got, there was a Mormon family that needs somebody to watch their kids. So I would like watch their kids for part of the day. Did you fall into, in their house. Did you fall into another Mormon circle? Like, is there, there the Mormons yeah. in Alaska? Yep. You, 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 when you're Mormon, you, everything is Mormon. So you just, uh, you just flow in with those Mormon circles because that's who understands you. 
is other Mormons. So lived in Alaska for for a short time that time, got married in this little Eskimo village to a girl that I had known for two weeks. I think I got married to her because I'd never been away from home before. Nobody, Nobody had left my town for generations. I was scared shitless. You know, it was back before the days when you could just pick up a phone and just call your family and talk to them, stay on the phone with them for hours because it was long distance. So if you if you did that, if you were on the phone with somebody for you know, for five minutes, it might cost as much as an hour's wages. So uh, you were just kind of alone. And I had a bad reaction to it and just clung to the first person that I could find up there and married her after knowing her for a couple of weeks and uh she was down she wanted to get the fuck out of that eskimo village so we got married and we moved as far away as anchorage moved to anchorage she went to college um i went to work in an accounting department for some military contractor that would basically move servicemen in and out of alaska just shipping their household goods. I was an account payable clerk and I just processed payments for this all day long. And then my dad got into a car accident in Utah and got uh, really hurt. And so he was, he was going to die. We, he was uh, not expected to make it. And so I just bounced from Alaska. I just went to Utah, you know, hung out with my dad in the emergency room and then he didn't die. And uh, he got, not better, but stable. He was paralyzed, you know, from C2. Christopher Reeves injury, basically. You know, you know, driving a wheelchair with a straw is basically what you're looking at if you get a C2 injury. My dad even had a machine that breathed for him. Christopher Reeves had a more advanced one that he could he could control the breath going past his larynx, so he would he could he could talk, but my my dad couldn't talk. Uh, he could just make make sounds with his mouth. So he didn't die. We got him uh, remodeled the house so that you could drive these giant, you know, like the size of a small car that were his were his wheelchairs. So remodeled the whole house so it's just ramps and giant ten foot doorways and winches that can lift him up and, and drive him into this, you know, shower that's the size of a butcher shop in a in a in a grocery store you know just meant to be hosed down like a monkey cage afterwards and get him all set up and then um i decide that i want to start a bit because it looks like he's gonna live forever now so he's he's stable he's been paralyzed for a few years he's kind of adjusted to it a little bit as much as you can i mean he used to beg me to kill him all the time wait what wait what what yeah yeah, and, and and that's not uncommon for people that have taken care of people that are paralyzed. They're not happy. Your brain doesn't do well when you're stuck in a chair all the time and can't move. It's just it's it's crazy. So he he used to ask me to kill him all the time, and he would ask me because of the four brothers of that he had. There's four boys and one girl that he had as a father uh i was the crazy one i was the one that might actually do it and i think that's why he would ask me i don't know how i feel about that but how would he ask but 
he would just be like, look, I can't, I can't just sit here for my whole life and just stare at this wall. And I just married the, he had just married his second wife who was half his age. So she, she was a very young woman, you know, in her mid twenties probably. And, um, they had one child, but he's like, she's just gonna, she's Mormon. She's just gonna sit here and watch me deteriorate into this bed and she's going to waste her whole life, you know, you have to kill me. And, uh, and I would, all, I would lecture him. <laughs> I would lecture him with Mormon platitudes about, uh, you know, accepting this test that God has given him. And, you know, you know, the reason that you are not healed by these healings is because you're lacking in faith and you just you know i wanted him to exercise more faith because i really believed in my heart of hearts that if he did that he would walk again i mean they fill our heads with those fucking stories just a second well they give you magic underwear too not knocking the religion but not knocking the religion briefly it's a it's a lovely religion but they convince they convince us all the men that we have magic powers called the priesthood and they teach you these magical i don't want to call them spells they would really chafe at the idea of spell but words that you say over you know oil that Chance. gives the oil special power yes it's fucking witchcraft essentially it's, <laughs> it's, ba- it's basically the kind of i mean and they have stripped the, joseph smith when this when the mormonism came fresh out of the oven back in the 1800s they had magic hats, magic capes, magic stages. Just it was just folk magic. It was Appalachian folk magic. You know anything that he could gather because he knew that that was what his power base was from. Is teaching is if these rooms believe he's actually talking to God or that he can. He had a, a seer stone that he had chipped a hole in the center and claimed that he could look. He could put it in his hat and put his face in his hat, and then when he put his face in his hat, that God would show him you know, whatever he needed to show him through the hole that he had chipped in that stone. But you just, it was, we come from a religion that is based in folk magic and they, a little of that exists today. They have slowly, you know, because as people have become more and more advanced, it's a smaller and smaller amount of bullshit that you can feed them. They're not just believing everything from, you know, I don't know. But uh, for whatever reason, they they weaned most of the magic out. But there's still plenty of it in there for me to believe that if my dad were to have enough faith, that he could respond to some uh, some blessing that I was doing for him. I would anoint his head with oil and say these words and put my hands on his head and command him in the name of Jesus Christ to, to stand up and that he would be healed if he has sufficient faith. And so I could only figure that it's because he didn't have sufficient faith. That was the only reason. That that wasn't working. It never occurred to me at one point that it also might be that my family had just fallen for a seven generation Ponzi scheme where we all get to be witches. So, when did you start looking at it and examining it from that point of view? Like, what brought Sal- you to that that point? Salvia. Is it because so, it made it seem like you were in another dimension and it seemed like there could be this potentiality for something else? Like I can, I mean, sometimes I get a message in like my serial and I kind of start contemplating life a little bit, but you had a different experience. Well, the world, there's, I don't know what's going on with life. And I've made, a, I've been wondering about this for five decades, 
but I, I don't know what's going on with life. I don't know what's happening. There are times in my life that I've thought that I have had it figured out, but I no longer think that I, that I do have it figured out, but, um, there's something going on for sure. I don't know what it is. Time is going by. Like I, I, I can't even keep track of it. We're already at the end of January. We're actually in February. So it's like, I don't even know where the past month just went. I just considered maybe I was drinking a little too much and it kind of was just slipping me by, but no, I just feel like it's just moving forward. Time is slippery. It all depends on what's going on. It's an individual thing time. You know, time slows down to nothing. If you're hurt or cold or, you know, suffering in some way, it slows down. It goes by so slow that you swear that you, that you are imagining that. And then sometimes when you're happy or busy, it goes by so fast and you hardly notice you look by, you look back and it's, it's been a year. So yeah, time is funny, but the, the reason that I was able to look at my religion, basically hold it at arm's length and say, okay, is this something that I really espouse to? And it was because I was in Tyler, Texas, and I didn't know in my mind, I knew nobody. There was nobody that was going to judge me or question me if I was to look into anything. There was no, I felt like I had almost been abandoned by God, you know, because, and so I, I just really felt like there was no, and I had the internet, whole power of the internet in front of me. So I just, in that safe space, I think, I just sat down and just gave myself, it, well, it first started because you know, I used to tell the story in in Tyler about how they would say, tell them how you think you're in witness protection in Alaska and that your next door neighbor is a is an army ranger and tell them how you're you took salvia and now you're tripping on salvia and you never never lived in Tyler before. And tell them about how you're Mormon. And they would quiz me with questions about the Mormon church because and I knew everything, chapter and verse. I could quote large tracts of scripture. They would bring out copies of the Book of Mormon. And they would. that was a party trick that I would do among my friends at work at the, at the, at the, when, I, when we would be at work and just sitting around a lot. And um, so I, it really got me questioning because that, that sort of became the way I was going to find out if it was true or not, if I was really in Alaska or if I was really in Tyler, uh, just tripping balls. And so it started by me trying to stump myself with Mormon um, facts. And then once you start looking at that and, and Google will just feed you things, you know, one after another about the Mormon church, because all of this happened in the, in the age of newspapers, all of this is written down someplace. There were accounts of all this in the New York times for Christ's sakes. So you can, you, if you want to research this and really find out, unbiased what happened at the beginning because it all the truthfulness of it now kind of depends upon it being started the way he said if he if he's full of shit and was just doing this to get pussy then i'm an idiot for putting oil on my dad's head and chastising him for not having enough faith if 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 joseph smith was a prophet and 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 you know then maybe I'm not such a fool. So I got a vested interest in this. So I, I start looking into this and realize that, oh, he was, he was kind of a con man and uh, built around himself this cult of people 
that could have more than one wife. And that appealed to a lot of lecherous old men. And that kind of thing just built itself a certain momentum. And they led a death cult out to the middle of nowhere, killed a bunch of innocent Indians, set up shop, and they're out there now just uh, living. I think it's almost 100% Mormon at my high school. There's only one girl I knew that wasn't Mormon. It seems like Scientology, where like if you have an in with someone, like a group, like that's why I feel like a lot of people join Scientology is so they can actually get in somewhere because they have connections with, like Hollywood and stuff like that, which is interesting. Yeah, there's a power. There's a power to a group, to any kind of an organization, fraternal organization, even if it's if it's it has nothing to do with God. There's a power to, you know, frats. You know, it's, it's just fun. That's why everyone thing. goes in the middle of the woods and with cloaks and they do things in front of an owl statue, Bohemian Grove type stuff, that Freemason fun stuff. They love doing it. I don't know why it's so weird. I had an academic on here talk about the Bohemian Grove. He was like, yeah, it's real, but it's like, let's decipher fact from fiction. And I was like, well, what's the, what's the fiction? He was like, they're just a bunch of people in front of an owl statue that are just directing policy. And I'm like, and that's not fucking weird to you? And he was like, no, what's weird about that? I was like, get a hotel room. Go to an office building. Make decisions. Done, quickly. They're bored doing that. I know. They've, they've done the office thing to that. It's just an opportunity for them to go out into the woods, be able to say that they took, you know, ecstasy with some famous politician. Danny Glover. And, uh-huh, or whoever, you know you know spiro agnew i know <laughs> it ecstasy up the tip of a spiro agnew's dick in the 60s you know at it at it in front of moloch the owl god but these little these little fraternal organizations they bring people closer they bring people together they're team they're team building exercises essentially um that's how you got to think about it team building exercises because nobody's got any superpowers i've seen no evidence of that you know nobody no I'll, I'll, you know, Moloch the Owl God never rises up off of his stony perch and, and, you know, helps them destroy their enemies. They are making a lot of money, though. So maybe it's a money curse. It could be, it could be have something to do with UFOs. Why do you, do you believe in UFOs? The government announced it. Look, the government announced it. I tossed all my belief out the window. <laughs> Dude, if you, if you've got, the people that we trust to identify whether or not that's a MIG or a 747, a Delta flight, the people that we have trained to look at that and make those visual cues with instruments and with by sight are the same people that are coming back to us and saying, hey, man, there's fleets of UFOs out there, you know, and they have video of these fleets of, of, of UFOs and they've some of them have started leaking out. And so it turns out that for 70 years, that's been our big, big bark, dark secret. We got our first UFO in the 30s because the Vatican gave it to us because um, they were afraid that it was going to fall into Hitler's hands, essentially. So when Italy, when Italy fell, they, get, they left it in uh, safekeeping with the Vatican and the Vatican gave it to us, though we had no idea what it was. Um, we took it and tried to back engineer it. Then we started paying attention to these things. And then since that, they, they claim now in their testimony before Congress, they have more than nine of these crafts, some of them so large that it was preposterous to even move them. So they built an airport over it. Don't you think it's suspicious, though, that they're acknowledging it now after they denied it for so many years? Well, they denied it for as long as they could. And they were literally killing people that were telling on it. 
but then they 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 Stephen Greer got this whistleblower act passed where basically people could come forward again even though they were sworn to secrecy they could come forward and so people started doing that and so they were no longer able to keep it secret anymore because just they, they took people took advantage of the, this whistleblower act and that's why I mean you've got deep 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 career long CIA people that use this whistleblower act, people whose job it was to make sure that the skeletons got counted properly in the closet, you know, the people like that are coming forward and testifying before Congress under oath, use, having used this whistleblower act, that this is what's going on, that we've been talking to aliens for a long time, and that, you know, we weren't the first people on this earth, and we're not the smartest people on this earth, and there's a whole race of of people that evolved here way before we did that just moved underground or under the water in one case because it protected them from asteroids and and uh, solar flares and so you know it's not it's not smart to live on the on the on the surface as we will soon find out i guess is what the testimony has been that's been coming out before congress so that's what been while these interests in you know boring tunnels and stuff like that and anyway so yeah there's something going on but i don't but how do we get talking about aliens i have no oh clue. i was saying oh, mullet meow god there's no there's no there's nothing magic in this world unless it's unless it's aliens so uh yeah and th those people probably are painfully aware that that would have to be the overarching invisible electrified third rail of american global politics if you know secretly that you're not the superpower in the in the world, and that you um, and that we're not the we're not the smartest people at the table. I think that you would just change get, everything. I think you just get that by just trying to expand your consciousness out more without having to worry about aliens and all that. I think you could just do that through whichever means. I mean, you did it through salvia, but other people can do it through other forms to try and see. Because once you hear something like that and you hear people that like just get transported to another place or another dimension, I mean, then they start talking about multiverses and then you start looking at exoplanets in real life. You can see that there's obviously things that there has to be other life out in the universe. doesn't necessarily have to be here, but it would just be small minded thinking to think that your life is the only thing. Yeah. We still don't know. Even if we believe in UFOs, we still don't know if the if human consciousness it, it survives death. They don't even know you how know? to describe human consciousness. They don't know what it is. Still, yeah, yeah, that's really true. We don't know what it is, and you know, in some ways, it, my the thing that it feels like right to me is that it's a simulation. I mean, if if what we can prove by the observer effect is that the universe doesn't render unless something is observing it, you know, that's the old, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear hear it, does it make a sound? And the answer is no. They can, they can prove by experiments that the answer to that is no. With that whole thing where they shoot the particles through the double slits, you know, as soon as it goes through that second slit, it just becomes a wave. It becomes a possibility of where it could be. It doesn't, it, it only if some, if you put some kind of a sensor in there to track it, you know, it's just like playing Xbox. If I'm shooting my gun into the bushes, it doesn't render the leaves moving unless I zoom in on it because it wastes processor speed. And that's what our universe does. And it does it 
faster than the speed of light. So it does it does it in violation of all of the rules of the simulation that we observe around us. The only thing that can violate that rule of the speed of light is the game. So if you if if you because once you look and see it, it, you put an observer there, those particles can communicate to each other faster than the speed of light. It can be on the other side of the universe and it will, and the, in, in some, some physicists believe they actually can go backwards in time to make things happen that were observed that there's, they can, in their equations, there's no reason that it would, that it would only have to work in one direction. Like some people get deja vu. Yeah. The deja vu is like a, Either you're you're reading information from the line next to you, or you reread that spot, or that was an edit spot, or something like that. There's, a, but they people believe that, and I I certainly believe that this follows all the rules of a simulation. We would abs. What are the chances that we would just happen to all of the trillions of people that have lived on this planet over the, you know. I don't know how much of the 4.5 billion years there's been anything like people. That number changes all the time, but there's lots of them. And uh, of, what are the chances that of all of those people, you and I would happen to be here at the time where we can do anything as rugged as ride a horse or chop down a tree, but also can basically speak to each other at the speed of light through a little device that's the size of a pack of cards that works with wires that I can't see. You know, so it's just, you know, there's no, the and the, where you and I will never probably know real starvation. You know, I, I live this crazy, stupid life. I'm not out there shoveling, you know. Oh, it's better now because we're in so much prosperity that people actually do starve themselves on purpose, not on accident. Poor people are fat Yeah, in our country. Yeah, because food's so plentiful. But I... I don't think it's a global thing. Though. I think it's like something that's in our brains. Like you ever had a night of drinking? Like maybe you thought you were going to die because you drank too much. Then you wake up the next day and like everything kind of looks different. Not that like you're blind from alcohol poisoning, but like you just, the world looks different. And I start, I start noticing that like when I'm walking around, I'll see like, I don't know. I just, I either, I didn't get enough sleep or something, but the world looks different. Like everything's more detailed or it's more like I'm catching things in a better light, like you would take an Instagram photo or something. Yeah. And I think the reason that is, and I've noticed that also in times that I've like almost died too. And I think, and so I think when you, when you are, you know, have a near miss with that one and when you're throwing up, when you, when you have a night out drinking, you basically poison yourself. You have a near death experience because you all, your body's like <laughs> having to produce all these shock proteins to basically, get your keep your system all running even though you've got this shit running through your system i mean i party when i wake up in the morning from it i'm like yes thank god <laughs> <laughs> yeah survived another one uh but i think that those those proteins give you your you a certain um visual acuity i think that's why the world almost looks new after something like that you feel almost born again because you've got all of those endorphins running through your body that have just kept you alive while the bear was, you know, running out of the woods, and then uh, now, now you didn't die, and so the world just looks beautiful. How many near-death experiences have you had? Oh, you know, everybody has near-death experiences. Like everything from the time the car almost broadsides you in the intersection—that kind of shit happens to me 
on the rag, you know, times when uh, I've almost died in a car are pretty, are pretty, pretty numerous uh, motorcycles, certainly little boats, more than I can count times that I probably could have died um, swimming out in the ocean. I've, I've had times in Alaska when I've gotten, you know, like put my snow machine through a hole in the ice, you know, there, there's been a number of times that I probably could have easily died, uh, except for maybe just luck. And, um, and in a, in a, in a multiverse, in in an unlimited universe, those moments would all branch off, they say, into other realities where I did die. You know, there, there is a, there is a narrative track that followed from every possible decision. Do you believe like when you dream and it's kind of like a realistic dream and that's a multiverse, like you're kind of, you know, the Doctor Strange movie where they talked about like if you sleep or something like that, it's like another version of you in another dimension somewhere. I, yes. I, I think it about could, it more. It could be. I think about it a lot after that movie. I was like, you know what? That would make a lot of sense because my dreams are way too realistic for my brain to create. Yeah, my my dreams are never... They never make sense under the, in the morning. They, they always seem to be my subconscious telling me something. It's rare. You know, I, I do have these super, I have been a lifelong bedwetter my entire life since I was a little boy. And even, even now, as a 55-year-old man, I'm not immune from, if I have a really vivid dream where I feel like I am actually in there, I have got until the next time I have to pee, to get to wake up naturally otherwise i will go to the bathroom in that dream world and i will go to the bathroom in my bed and that's how i will wake up i have i have lain next to a girlfriend and wet the bed on her dreaming that i was pissing in a urinal maybe she's just splashing her mormon oil on you <laughs> <laughs> yeah man nothing nothing tests a relationship like that but well, you got to give me a dream i got to hear one now i love talking about dreams on my show I don't, I don't have any big ma- major epiphanies that have ever come to me in a dream. Really, I had one where Nick Swartzen got attacked by a seal, so I've been checking his tour schedule, just making sure if he's <laughs> taking a trip out there near the islands, I'm sending him a message. <laughs> Why Nick Swartzen? Just I have randomly? no clue, man. We were on a vacation, and some I don't even know what beach it was, but I remember this, and it's it's this was months ago, but it's so detailed to me that I can just remember it. It scared the crap out of me, and I don't really sleep like if I fell asleep right now, I'd sleep for an hour, but it would feel like ten years. And I don't know. I've always been like that my whole life, but I had this dream where it was a bunch of people uh, we're on a beach partying and we're swimming in the water. And Nick Swartzen's one of those people, and then. All you see is these giant group of seals come out and just start attacking everybody. I mean, they're biting. If you ever been bit by a ferret, like that little nibble that they give you? I've been, on... Yeah, I've been bitten by a mink. Yeah, I know so what I, you mean. I was in a dream, and that's what it felt like. I was feeling that. Like, it felt like something was pinching me, like how those little bites are. And next thing you know, these seals started getting attacked by these sharks. And I was like, what the hell's going on? So the next thing you know, the water recedes. Everybody's on the beach. Everyone's got bite marks in them. And this one shark just goes one last time to grab this seal and lands up on shore and the shark dies on the beach 
and everyone's real quiet like what the hell just happened and then i just see nick swartzen walk towards this shark because the shark's stomach is going like it's moving inside something's inside of it it ate a seal so i'm guessing it's the seal didn't chew or anything just swallowed it and he walks over with a knife and stabs the shark in the stomach and starts pulling down and as he did that the seal bit him on the arm and ripped like all of his flesh off his chest torso and he just looked at me and screamed and i woke up and i woke up i was like what the fuck was that that's apparently there's a there's a story there. That that's a comp that's a complicated thing that your that your life is trying to tell you. Don't watch bench warmers before bed. That's what it's well, just the <laughs> consequences of trying to help somebody or trying to step in or you know, I think that's your subconscious trying to tell you some shit, trying to warn you. I don't know. I don't like therapy. I'm not digging into it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, therapy's fun. I I love therapy. I would I would be. I would be hurting if it weren't for a lifelong commitment to talk therapy. I feel like you can find meaning in actual life, like deeper meaning about it. But then everyone always bring, and I've had dream analyst people on here on the show before talk about, oh, it's all a secret message. I mean, it makes sense, but I, I don't have the time to decipher half the shit. I don't know how to decipher that dream. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and my, my subconscious, uh, I, I will process things through writing. Sometimes, sometimes I'll write stories, you know, comedy bits about things. And I don't even really know why I'm writing a bit about that, except for that. It's just, you know, it's responding to like some dream I've had or some feeling I've had or just something I'm dealing with in my personal life, but maybe don't want to look too closely at. So, yeah, dreams are crazy. And, you know, and I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea if. You know, because like that, that salvia trip, it. You're going to have to explain it because I think people are not knowing what the salvia trip is. So I took salvia for the first drug that I ever took, kind of by accident, uh, took a, a heroic dosage of salvia and ended up having a, an experience the last that seemed like every minute of eight, eight years, you know, but it lasted like. And this is just a guess, but like 90 seconds in the real world. So really, really quick. So my, your brain has the ability to render, unless you believe in that it's just, you just switching channels in the simulation or to another universe or whatever. But still, the, the time dilation is possible to that degree. You could live, you could live an entire human lifetime in a few minutes on Salvia, you know, I've read one story. One dude spent 20 years as paint on a barn. 30 years as paint on a barn. I think I told you that. That's yeah, rough. I, Yeah. 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 And he described it to me. He said it was it was the boredom and the fact that he couldn't move or talk and you would feel the cold and he would feel the heat and he would feel the paint blistering and he would feel the fading and just, and just the, the monotony of it was the part that he described the worst. And that's that was my feeling as well. It was the monotony. It was how long it lasts. It's like, Jesus Christ, man, eight years is you. I, I started to believe I was crazy. Yeah. And for the last half of it, I accepted the fact that I had brain damage. That's well, how long it lasted. There's no way you can come back. Like, I don't know how, like, you probably still think about it today, but I would be questioning my own reality. Even hearing the story, I question it all the time. I'm sitting here going, like, what happens if I could just easily take a drug like that and then snap back into a different universe? It makes me think if I'm, like, 
am I autistic and nobody's telling me? Like, you know what I mean? Because I hate to say it like that, but if you really examine like everything you like right now, your whole life, how everything's going, but it can be completely different with something that our mind could just react to a drug or react to a thing. You could be in a coma and not know and just wake up. The next thing you know, you're like, holy shit, that's 30 years gone. And everyone's like, yeah, but you, you did some good paintings on the wall. Holy shit, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know what's going on. All, all you get is hints and feelings at it. And that's, that's the number one thing that I would like to have answered for me. Cause in some ways it feels like I've had three lives. Like I had a very specific, very straight laced Mormon life from the time that I was born that to the time that I took that salvia. So that's like one life. And then I went to Tyler and I became a completely different person by the time that I was, that eight years was up, you know, just by not being Mormon and just by hanging out with my friends and um, playing music all the time and just kind of buying into the whole vibe that was that group of friends working on that farm. It was kind of a very close-knit environment. And then when I, and then when the, that eight years ended, I then began anew in this timeline, but as a completely different person and became a completely different person. Who I am now is, doesn't bear a moon cast resemblance to the person that I was, you know, I'm a stand-up comic now. I've, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I wasn't poor before. I had uh, I had lots and lots of money because uh, I had a successful business and you know I had owned my own house outright and it was uh, life was good but now I'm poor very poor in uh, in uh, I think you're rich with knowledge you're rich with knowledge rich with knowledge and rich with experience and wouldn't trade it for the world and I could I think I could probably still get back to the place where I was worried about money all the time. And just that's all where my dreams ended. And that was just bigger numbers, bigger numbers, bigger numbers. That was my whole line of thinking. I could I could become that person again, maybe, but I don't want to. Having been that person, I would rather not have money than, than not follow my art and not follow creativity and not um, try to decipher the world from a different side of my brain, essentially. So... I'm a completely different person than that person. I'm a completely different person than the guy that was in Tyler. I'm a completely different person, certainly than the guy that was in Smithville in the same town that his family had wrested from the arms of the Indians under false pretenses. Some from God, some guy that was trying to talk his wife into a threesome. Do you, so when it comes to the Salvia trip, when you sunk into that gun floor and you, kind of came up you were being pulled onto a boat yeah by water i was on the boat yeah i was on the boat i was coughing you know coughing like you cough like makes your thing, fingertips throb uh and i was on the boat but i felt like i had just been pulled aboard the boat or something so you still remember those feelings yeah yeah just like if it would it just like if it just like i remember high school you know?
And then at wait, so when you were your your life in Tyler, Texas, I mean, I know you didn't do a, a lot, like didn't get to be social because you were kind of thinking, when's this trip going to end? But when it came to how different it is from this reality that you're in, can you distinctly tell the difference or were you just remembering emotions or feelings and things of that sort? Because you didn't go anywhere. You were still in that room, but in your mind, you transported to a completely different place, but you're still able to feel things. It was as real as this. It was indistinguishable from this. Having eight years to sit and think, is this real? Does this feel different in any way? I could detect no difference. Here's the one difference I would tell you in retrospect, in hindsight. Almost nothing happened there. Like, it was like... You mean you got a raise and everything? You worked on an apple orchard. I mean, it was very predictable. Like, you could almost predict where I'm going to be on December 1st next year. Because you know the kind of chores that you're going to be doing. Because everything is done on a calendar by the seasons on a farm and in a little town where you're basically just hanging out at the farm or maybe at one of the people's houses that lives on this farm road, um, you know, not even being as sociable as church. So your world kind of shrinks down, but nothing seemed to happen. Like my life, I was used to things happening. You know, you get robbed, you know, your partner's a murderer. There's some kind of intrigue with your fucking family or, you know, you're not getting along with somebody. There was none of that almost in Tyler. It was very the same on day to day. You know, there would be little friend drama, you know, a little bit of it, but nothing, nothing like the kind of run and gun battle that the, 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 this real world seems to be like. Like Truman Show? Maybe. maybe or just, just a, a different too- time. Maybe your brain just doesn't have time to render all those things. If it's coming from your brain, maybe it's just a calmer, maybe it's got a certain value slid way down. If it's a simulation, you know, maybe the drama knob is set at the two instead of a 20, you know. Did you ever try and explore and try and push the Salvia trip to see if it had like an end to it? Like, did it have political events going on? Did it have a certain vibe or time period it felt like it was stuck in or was it you feel like it was modern present it felt it felt it felt modern present and i did try to go to i went to i drove to utah and actually drove to smithfield and you know because my my family's all buried there and uh, you know my ancestors built that town and so if I exist someplace, that's where I'll exist. And I drove there and it was nothing like the way I remembered it. Nothing. There were no Cantwells in the graveyard. This high school wasn't in the part of town that I remembered it being. It didn't look like it, like it should. It was just, it was all different. Enough to convince you that you had made it up different. Enough to convince me that maybe I'd never been to Utah. Did you start thinking you had a head injury? Yeah. I would went right to a psychiatrist immediately. About then, that's when that's when I started to kind of get. Uh, literally, everybody in Tyler, all of my friends that had claimed that uh, had said that they had known me my entire life, said that it was that I had a head injury, and the whole town knew it. And so, it's really hard to fight that. For four years, I'm proud of the fact that I was like you guys are all crazy. 
I know who I am. I'm in witness protection in Alaska, and I'm Mormon, so no. God damn it, that sounds like a fake fucking schizophrenic. Yes, yes, and they would they would say, hey, that's not true. I've known hey, you your whole hear life. hear yourself. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you know so much about Mormonism. That's really crazy, but I've known you. We went to kindergarten together, bro. You know, and I was with you when you got hurt, so you got hurt. You're Wait, just gonna have to take my word for it. Did they ever for- cry, or did they yes. ever break? Oh God! Yeah, it broke their heart that I couldn't remember them. You know, and they thought I was gonna get worse. They thought I was gonna get like develop tremors, or they thought that it was, you know, that they were gonna have to take care of me because I didn't have my family. I was, you know, I only had this group of people that I worked on this farm with. And my, my family had died in a car accident. I'd had a sister and, and a mother and a father. And they all died in a car accident when I was in high school. But I didn't remember any of that. Um, but I was basically all they had. Or they, they, was, they were all I had. And so they felt incredibly responsible for me. Most of and you, didn't let me you, down. You were there when, they, when you had your accident, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. It was those guys I was out water skiing with. Did you ever look for anything like holes in the simulation or anything that you feel like would trigger you and try and wake you back up since you knew you were in a trip? I tried all that kind of stuff, and I even contemplated suicide at one point to try to wake myself up. I was like, if I end this, you know, because I think I've got kids to get that get back to. You know, I'm trying to get back to my kids. I think I've been gone for four years. You know, I'm like, where am I? Am I dead? I'm not dead. So is this hell? Am I, you know, so I, I had everything in that amount of time. You, you consider everything, everything. Hypnosis just everything. I would, I mean, I don't see, I mean, the suicide thing, you could accidentally, what happens if it kills you in reality too, doing that? I mean, you yeah, seizure, I so your seizure, imagine not waking up from it. Yeah. I mean, that's why I, that's why I didn't do it. Was there anything like anybody that you could talk to or have you ever seen me here before or at the apple orchard, anybody that like, or they all just knew you, they all had a background. They knew me. They knew me. They'd known me forever with, 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 except for one or two exceptions. They had known me forever. So all it, all they, they were convincing. They convinced me that I had imagined my wife and my family and that I'd imagined some big murder trial and living in Alaska and building a house. And the more they talked, the more that sounded ridiculous. Of course, none of that happened. You know, that does sound crazy when you think of Mormon. Who's Mormon? And they would all laugh, you know. And then it would always devolve into, yeah, but he does know all the words to all the Mormon songs. You know, and he can play a few of them on the piano. So that's weird. Do you? Uh, and then they would all they would all go, yeah, that is weird. Oh well, the human mind's funny. Maybe this is a simulation. <laughs> you know, maybe you know. So they would, and then it would, it, then it would be this conversation that we're having right now, except for we're in Tyler and we're laughing about how I used to think that I was in witness protection. Oh my god. It, I do. It's 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 hard to keep track. That's how mind bending it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
when I mean, have you ever thought, I know you probably wouldn't try it again, but have you ever thought like if you could take Salvi again and know that you were at a Salvia trip, would you do something differently? I mean, you learned uh, skills, if I'm not mistaken, in the trip that you still use in your actual life as well, too. Well, I, I, no, I'm, I definitely went someplace mentally in that eight years. I took a journey as far as um, basically convincing myself that I didn't believe 100% that the Mormon church was true. And that is a journey in and of itself. But and I'd, I'd, I'd seen you talk about this on other shows that I had learned to play the ukulele, but that's not true. I, I already knew how to play the ukulele okay. when I got there. Like there was a ukulele on my couch the first night and I sat down and uh, my fingers knew exactly where to go. But you never played it before. No. So you already knew it in the trip. Yeah. In, but my friends knew that I played the ukulele in Tyler. So you didn't even have to do any training or studying. You just already had the ability to do it. I was already good at it. All right, you might be sail pitching me on some salvia right now. I could tell you that much. If I can you learn can an instrument, you can definitely learn an instrument. You could definitely learn a, a um, foreign language. You could definitely, you, I, I believe you could earn a PhD. Does it transfer over the the credits, the college credits? <laughs> no, that's what sucks. I was look. I got. I went to this other university for eight years. Well, what do you mean? Ask eight me years? anything. Ask me anything about the pancreas. <laughs> are you serious i can ask you about the pancreas no i'm just saying that's what you would I know, say I know, I know. To get them to, yeah. i'm really good at trivia night i know a bunch of cool facts man i hope this is a salvia trip and then like the five years i spent podcasting actually just went into like 20 seconds in the other dimension every time i have a cool moment where i'm about to like because sometimes i'll get to open for people you know famous people or hang out with them and some will dim aspect uh every time i have a cool moment like that the thing that i say to myself is please be real oh god be re i hope there's oh i hate to be walking out on stage right now and shrink through the floor of the stage and i'm falling and falling and i come out of that fucking gun room again knowing what i know now about my wife and knowing what i know now about my life please don't put me on that gun room floor again have you ever like I know you mentioned the barn experience you heard that from someone but have, did you try searching for other experiences and talking to people about it and seeing if they had something that was similar to a whole other life another thing I mean you looked up Yeah these Ari Ari Shafir did. So he um lived for a number of years in a in a world where everything was underwater. So you would just the air was water, everything else was normal. Did you, yeah, but for like for your experience, you had things where you could easily Google and search up people's homes if there this was real license plate numbers. I mean, you mentioned doctors' prescription pads that were filled out. Your brain was able to process that. That's more something that you can try and fact check and look at, and it's not that different from reality. But living underwater, I mean, I don't know if it was still like cities like we have here that were just yeah, all underwater. Okay. He says it was exactly like here. You go to a job, you know, you pay your mortgage, but everything's underwater. Why and do he we was have like, scientists researching this? Because it's it, I, 
I think because it probably sounds made up. <laughs> I know, be, but be, it's, it sounds like something your brain manufactures when you've had too much salvia. Why are we wasting all this money and time trying to reform prisoners in a failed program when you could just give them salvia and have them spend like 80 years in a whole other life doing something and then come back with actually like essential knowledge and real change? Dude, heroic doses of mushrooms given to prison populations would be That's a good life-changing. Life-changing. Imagine being stuck in a cell and being told to essentially sit and think about what you did. I don't even know that they're really saying that these days. But if you were to give people access to, I mean, mushrooms are not always fun. They, if you've got, if you've done some horrific shit in your life, mushrooms have some things to say to you, you know, and you might not want to hear all of it. But if you, you, if you block me in a dungeon someplace and you don't give me mushrooms, my brain goes to sleep. If you lock me in a dungeon and you do give me mushrooms, my brain turns into mushrooms. You know, I, 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 I slowly become a super brain that you can, can't contain anymore. How many people come out to your shows on the Salvia story that they heard? Because it's all over the internet. It's everywhere. It happens all the time. So, yeah, it just, you'll just, people will happen to hear that you're near their college or whatever, and they'll, they'll, they'll squat up and come out and yeah it's been it's got legs it's it's still for something that we recorded for the first time six years ago it's everywhere now you know there's just and people still download those first those first versions a lot of people i've seen i mean they believe it and then there's some that don't they're always questioning like what about this and what about this or how did he know this i'm like i don't think anybody can make that up it's way too detailed yeah and you know, I question I question every facet of the reality of it myself. You know, did is this something that my brain just made up while I was on this drug? Is this a channel that it changed? You know, with a chemical balance in in my brain, do I change channels in the multiverse somehow? Is it is that really my? I don't know. I don't know. That the the Tyler seemed more real than here. Because the, the thing that always strikes me as artificial in this world is the fact that so many fucking things keep happening. You know, it's, I, 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 there's the murderer, but lots of things like that. Like there was this guy, that I, I caught a serial rapist one time, uh, like having an affair with his wife and accidentally figuring it out. And then, and, uh, and I called a press conference. Uh, Wait, what? Talk about, in the trip? <laughs> No, in here. Like even if you. <laughs> what do you mean? You, Hold on a second. What? I've never oh, heard this. No, How have I you not explain this. How have you not brought this up before? There's lots of things like this that have happened to me. So if you want to go on YouTube and type um, the words "Kahala Panty Burglar," you will find a news a news story. From like, I'll, the, I'll have an FBI guy show up at my door. So. <laughs> and uh, so this guy was like, um, "Do you want me to tell the story?" It's a, it's a yeah, man. How, how much time have you got? We got as much time as you want. Okay. After I 
that had my salvia trip, I basically came out of the salvia and I was like, this isn't real. This is crazy. I, we've wasted our life chasing money. We need to do what really makes us happy. I called a real estate agent in one day, sold my house. I said, whatever, whatever you can find somebody, cash deal, I want it. I, I, didn't, I don't, it didn't owe any money to the bank on this. I built it. And so I was just like, cash deal, find whatever you can find me cash today. So he called around some dudes that he knew had some cash and got a cash deal for me that day. And I uh, put my business, I just opened up Craigslist and I put an ad in Craigslist. It was like business, grosses this much, profits this much, this much in assets. This is how much I want it. And it was a fabulous deal. And I said, it's not, it's going to go fast. First cash gets it. And I had, I had the cash in like 13 hours for my, so if you just believe that money's not real and you just need to get the fuck free, you can get free pretty goddamn fast. Even with a family of six, family of six, mind you, um, gave the dogs away, you know, took all of our, our possessions, just got a construction dumpster, had a big garage sale, just, you know, fire sale whatever you want. And then whatever was, wasn't left. We just had a construction company put a big trailer dumpster out there and we just hired people just to throw everything in there, everything, couches, clothes, everything in the dumpster. We pared our life down so that we could live on a sailboat together as a family in Hawaii. We, I visited Hawaii several times from Alaska and loved it. So I was just like, fuck it. Daddy just realized that he has has been going in the wrong direction. So we're going to go to Hawaii and find out what direction to go. So we moved to Hawaii. Um, Family didn't want to live on the sailboat. So they, um, they would get seasick. And I was really the only one that was into it. Maybe my wife. And so we got an apartment. At the right on the beach, so that you could see the the boat from the apartment, and then uh, this the, the sailboat was just free for me to have adventures on. And the adventures that I wanted to have the most were I wanted to have sex with uh, um, as many girls as I could, just because I don't I'm a motherfucking man. Yeah, because I, I spent my whole life just having sex with this one person, God damn. and so we. We realized that there was no God and we weren't going to get, I was, I was, I was telling her, listen, there's no God, there's nothing. So I basically talked her into a threesome like Joseph Smith. So, so I, I (laughs) talked her into, she, we find this young tourist girl that's there on vacation, celebrating, getting out of college. And we're like, Hey, we've got a sailboat. You want to come hang out with us out on the, out, out in the ocean? And she did. And so we, got down with her and then we were we both liked it and so that just became what we did so that was the full time you know we just would she would go find vacationing college girls on the beach and bring them to the the boat and we would smoke weed for the first time we would drink for the first time we'd take mushrooms for the first time we and then we, we would have these we would sometimes take two or three girls out there with us and fuck them all at the same time. And just have the craziest time ever. Just basically rinsing the taste of Mormonism out of our mouths. And one of the girls that we took 
out on this boat was a girl named um, Julie. And Julie was a young German girl, college age, I'm not sure, mid, mid-20s. And um, she had just married a wealthy um, businessman there in Honolulu, a guy named Jonathan Ching. And she was like, but he, and he used to be in, uh, you know, she told us all these grandiose stories about him that he told her about himself. But basically she was like, yeah, he married me just because he wants arm candy, but really he never fucks me because he, he that can't get hard. And, and, but he knows that I, that I'm, that I'm fucking you guys and that's fine with him and, and he wants to meet you. So, so we don't know how things are supposed to work, you know, in the, in the, we're Mormon, basically we're fronting the fact that we're, you know, these gigolos. And, uh, so we're like, yeah, if you want to, I'll be cosmopolitan, but I'll go up and meet you. If you want to meet your wife's lover, that's maybe the way people do it. So, uh, I went up there, I meet him. He's cool. He's convinced he's trying to convince me to take my, take my sailboat to Maui, which he's like, it's not that far. Now that I know he was trying to do that so they could kill me because uh, I would have absolutely gotten killed trying to sail to Maui on my sailboat with my six months experience at sailing. <clears throat> so uh, meet him. And the more I talked to him, he tells me these stories that are obviously bullshit, right? It's like stories about being a Green Beret and wiping out whole villages and just the kind of shit that you would never, if you had been a Green Beret, would not tell somebody on the first day that you meet them, right? So he's just got bullshit written all over him. And I'm like, well, that's fine, I guess. And I meet some of the other girls. And he has filled this mansion in Lanikai with, there's like a, I forget how many millions of dollars. It would be like a $20 million mansion uh in today's prices probably maybe more um but this massive marble mansion with an indoor swimming pool that was surrounding this courtyard he fills it with young college age mostly you know women uh that he would just rent an, a room for for you know if you looked a certain way he'd rent your room for like uh you know, a hundred dollars a month in this in this fancy surf neighborhood and and on the north on the shore of uh, Oahu. So I was like, oh, he's doing the same thing with this house that I'm doing with my sailboat. He's he's into into college girls, and he's so what's he up to if he's not fucking his wife? So I start to wonder if he's fucking the other women at, at the place. And then I start to fuck some of the women that are, that are living in his house. And he seems to not care about that in any way. So, um, Julie is snooping through his papers of her new husband and sees all of this paperwork where he's got a different name of Harrison Mew. And and she finds a key in this gym bag with his Harrison Mew stuff and 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 some receipts for a for a um, where he's been paying on a on a storage unit in town. So she and I track down this storage unit, bullshit our way through, and and get use the key and open the storage unit, and we roll open the door, and there are 
tens of thousands, maybe, but like a smaller storage unit. So I'm not talking about a warehouse. I'm talking about like, it was probably 10 by 10, the storage unit. And, but it was full of panties of, of game worn female panties and a small camping uh, card table and a belt on the card table that has it's like a utility belt that he has made where it has a vibrating cuff for his penis to sit in and then a vibrating butt plug in that he can put up his ass and then a battery on it and then uh so he can whatever he's doing with the panties he can do it with both hands essentially so worn panties game worn panties yeah imagine you just open that up and you're like oh it smells like shit in here it smelled like a locker room in there. It smelled. It you, there was a there was stained a, memories of young scarlets with big dreams and broken hearts. Yeah. So we called the cops, and we were like, "Hey, there! What? What the fuck is this? Is this guy a serial killer? What's going on?" And they're like, "Holy shit! That that guy is." Not Jonathan Ching. That guy's real name is Harrison Mew, and he's out on parole because he was breaking into people's houses, stealing their panties for weeks, and obsessing over individual girls. And then he would come back later and cut the screen out of the window and come in and rape you, and and was and was a rapist. And they said that they even tried to pin a murder on him, but they couldn't. They couldn't make it stick. But. Um, but they said, this guy is, he's not supposed to be doing that. He's not supposed to be, you know, collecting women's panties and calling himself. And he wasn't rich. He had bullshitted his way through by assuming some, he got false documents that made him this person named Jonathan Ching. And he falsified a bunch of credit stuff and basically bamboozled his way to rent this, uh, mansion in Lonnie Kai and Put those and what he was doing is he was stealing those women's panties. He was harvesting fresh panties from these women. He was rummaging through their dirty clothes and getting a freshie and and replenishing his crazy thing he had going on there. That's the time unit. he should have converted somebody to Mormonism. God damn. Got his life on track or something. So <laughs> the, the, the cops can get him. Fuck. And I call a press conference. I call all of the newspapers and I call all the TV stations. I'm like, hey, um, the Kahal Penny burglar just got rearrested and he's, he's getting arraigned. He's, they're violating his probation right now. And we're going to talk to you all about it outside the courtroom. So I arranged for all the women that stayed at that house and me to go. And then I, of course, go take over the interview. But uh, so we both we have a press conference and then they take over hit this mansion in Lonnie Kai to the women that, that stayed there and they just throw crazy crazy parties until whatever arrangement he'd made with the owner wore out or whatever but uh, if you look up Kahala Panty Burglar on K-A-H-A-L-A Panty Burglar on YouTube you can see this this um press conference with me with a magician's muscle, magician's goatee standing out there looking all indignant about you know this guy with his rape house 
That's fucking wild. Yeah. Jeez. How is that not a story you have on stage? Oh my god. I'm telling you, I think I'd make a movie about your life one day. That's why it seems like this is not the real it doesn't this this part of life doesn't feel real because too many things like that keep happening. No, I'm like that a lot. I think I mentioned that with my buddy I'm trying to get you on a show about. I I my life has always been weird off scenarios and I think it developed my personality and it doesn't jive sometimes with, you know, it's just cause I just say weird shit sometimes. But I think, I don't know, like I, I witnessed a drug deal before when I wasn't supposed to, I was just, I'm in scenarios that I'm not supposed to be there for. Like there's like times you're up when you're not supposed to be up or there's something you're at that you're not supposed to be at. It's been my whole life. Yeah. That brings me, me comfort. If there's an alternate dimension out there where that guy's having all the fucking success. Yeah. I mean, I, I often find myself, like you say, in scenarios where I really shouldn't be there, you know? Do you regret that, though, or do you actually enjoy that, if you really look at it? Because if your life changed from Tyler, Texas, and it completely changed afterwards, you got to look at all this stuff now like, I mean, this is definitely 100%. Like, I mean, it's got to make you more daredevilish a little bit, too. I prefer it when things happen. I prefer this. I don't know if it weren't for what I don't know what that means about me. There's some negative connotations that that might suggest itself to, but about why I'm attracting all of this to me, but it is fun. I am having fun as hor as horrible as it all is. I am having a lot of fun. Uh, before I want to ask one more story from you, but I got to get a paranormal experience from you, man. I'll give you a paranormal experience that happened to me just recently. So, um, I have this big sprinter van that I travel around in and I, and then I have this warehouse that I, that I have that's got stage stuff in it, like folding chairs for comedy shows and scenery from comedy shows and, uh, you know, sceneries and back scenery and backdrops for like um, various podcast projects that we've had. It's just basically this, you know, work van. Yeah, but 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 I mean, the, the warehouse is just like it's like you know, just flotsam and jetsam from various comedy shows. So I basically live in that van in the warehouse. I live in you know parking lots of of comedy shows that I just did. But you know, when I'm not out of town. I park it here and I, you know, open up the doors and I just kind of, you know, you know, live like that. So, um, recently, and I have this dog that has been my lifetime, uh, companion for the last eight years, big silly dog. And, um, he got stomach cancer and, um, we had to put him down and um he would always sleep next to me but i have noticed sometimes recently just within the last few nights that if i'm when, when i'm sleeping if i and, and i remember one night I, I woke up and i felt the weight of something laying on my back and uh i pushed against it and I heard in my ear a growl, like my dog's growl, that uh, 
I swear I didn't, I wasn't hearing it in my head. Maybe, maybe I was, but it felt very real. It felt like I pushed my dog off me. And sometimes I can feel him laying on the bed when I'm, when I'm laying in bed. And then one time I was, I put all of his toys, like I gathered up from around the warehouse, put all of his toys in one basket, just trying to decide what to do with them. And I was walking past those toys one night and one, I don't know which squeaky toy made this noise, but it went like it used to when he would, when he would bite it. And it takes, my dog was a big dog and he had really robust toys. So it takes a lot of pressure to, it's not like a mouse could have done that. So, and I don't know what that is, but I've also, there is a kind of trickster entity in the, on earth that will sometimes masquerade as your dead dog to fuck with your head and to drink whatever comes out of you when, Damn, man, when you feel that way. That dog's trying to communicate to you from the other side. And you're over here like it's a fucking trickster. Don't buy it. It could be. It could be. I don't like thinking like that. I like to think the positive. I think that light that we see, I think that's a net. At the, I think that the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. I, I think, think that's, that's waking up out of coming out of a, a a freshly a fresh puss. I think that's what it is when you're waking up in the hospital room. You ever hear that? Maybe. That could be. You think it's, it's just immediate reincarnation, no time for reflection? Yeah, that's what's how it's got to be. What's the point of it if there's no reflection? That's when you learn all you learn all the lessons. I don't want to reflect on the bad shit. Should pop me into a new one. I want to be Hugh Hefner's kid. The bad things are the most important things. That's what they say, but nobody ever learns from their bad experiences. They just tend to forget about it and push it down until someone breaks it out in therapy. <laughs> I for sure remember. I for sure, I for sure learned from the bad things that happened to me. It's happy things that they don't teach me a goddamn thing. We don't think to remember the happy moments. Yeah. Yeah, fear is, the, is our st- strongest emotion for sure. Would you trade it all in, though? No. You wouldn't want to go back to Tyler, Texas and try out that life for a little while? No. I like this. You know, it's been, it's been, it's been a lot of hard work you know, writing all this stand up and and doing that. And I would hate to have that just disappear. You could just bring the jokes to the alternate dimension. Yeah. <clears throat> I guess stories would translate. Imagine would if you were translate. like they start putting your name on billboards over there. Oh, if I was big in some dimension. Or if you went back over there and there's missing posters everywhere, we're missing, we're missing this guy. He left like like however long ago. You're like, God damn it, I didn't mean it. <laughs> Time works in the wrong in the other direction. I go back and it's been like 300 years. <laughs> Your great, their great grandkids are telling stories about this guy who was bringing food over at a barbecue and sunk into the lawn. Yeah, yeah. Makes you think. But Mr. Kant, well, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show again. Um, it's a pleasure ca- catching up with you again. Uh, is there a place where people can find any of your links if you have any dates you'd like to promote, if you have any uh, website, uh, Instagram, Facebook, anything like that? The only thing that I do is I, I, ju- I maintain an Instagram account, the Steve Cantwell, all one word, lowercase. Okay. Well, I'll make sure I link that in 
in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting with you again, Mr. Cantwell. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Battle of the Blank Podcast.